This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, Before I get into it, with Daz Bishop, my friend from Ireland, from New York and Ireland. It's complicated. Also China. Let me give you some of my tour dates. Let me give you these tour dates. March 27th, this Friday, day after my birthday, I'll be in Annapolis, Maryland at Ramshead Live. 29th, I'll be in Richmond. Then I go to Hattiesburg, Birmingham, Athens, Portland, Maine, Providence, Hamden, Connecticut, Austin, Texas, Bethlehem, PA, Arlington, Virginia, Winnipeg, Evanston, Honolulu. Some Israeli dates going to be announced at some point soon. Check me out on Twitter at Todd Barry. Go to feralaudio.com for this podcast, other podcasts. Don't forget about my crowd work tour film on Louis C.K.'s website. Only five bucks. Uh, Check that out. And uh, here's Des Bishop. I just told Des Bishop if there's anything he wants to muscle in to this podcast, uh, he can. So you know it's all it's all a fraud. Yeah, it's all. If anything happens, I'm hoping it's natural enough that they won't be able to tell. We can have a quiz. You can have like a quiz in the comment section. <laughs> what was what was muscled in and what was actual conversation? What was yeah? What was forced? Like you better. I need to get this out. Yeah, the I only mean, reason I, I came here. I don't think there's going to be anything by the time that this is out. The only thing I need to muscle this will be out in, today. Oh, you're putting this out today? Probably. Oh, because I was going to say the only thing I would need to muscle in is the fact that I still have one more weekend of shows in the Barrow Street Theater. I just saw your show. Yeah. Made in China. Made in China. It was a very cool show. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel sometimes like Made in China seems like a bit of a sort of a unimaginative title, but I was trying to come up with loads of like quirky titles about a show that's literally about learning Chinese and about my time in China. And I, I just thought Made in China just kind of covers all the boxes. Yeah, I think it's perfect. Yeah, it just covers all the boxes. I mean, to be honest... Maybe because I lived in China, I feel like it's not that great because a lot of Chinese comedians, to be honest, 50% of Chinese comedians open their show by saying- I was made in China. I was made in China. <laughs> exactly. All so right, you should change that. I, I felt a bit bad, but I think in the West, it's 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 an apt and informative title. Is that the title you used in Edinburgh? Uh, in Edinburgh, I used made in China. But in, in Ireland, I call it coming home because, well, because there was a this was a TV series for Irish TV. Uh-huh. So I called it coming home because I thought if I called it made in China in Ireland, then Irish people would be like, is he still going on about China? And they wouldn't come. <laughs> so I called it coming home and I still went on about China anyway. Oh my and God. it just about worked out. Did you, So you tricked them. You kind of lured them in there. I, I lied a You're little. You were hoping they wouldn't read any information about the show. Yeah. In fact, I didn't lie, actually. All the information on the show was it was clearly about my time in China, but the title was just a little bit sort of removed. from. It was more like Des is delighted to be back home after two years in China. That's... uh. That's that's really funny that they'd be like, 
Oh, come wouldn't. on. Still talking about the China trip? Well, you know, they, they, they wouldn't, but then you just never know. You know, like people can be, Irish people in particular, I mean, you can explain why we're talking about Ireland in a minute, but Irish people in particular can be a bit funny about sort of ownership over you. Uh-huh. So they don't like you to stray too far from the fact that you're, 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 you're a well-known comedian in Ireland because you talk about Ireland. So I was a little bit sort of cautious of that in the title. Uh-huh. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, you've been there. You know it's a bit parochial. Yeah, I've been to Ireland. I call my show, I'm from Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I call it seriously, I'm from Ireland. Ireland's the best subtitle. Yeah, I, I think I think it went down great. <laughs> I, think, I think you've always enjoyed your time in Ireland. We should tell people about your show, though, in case they don't know, is that you went over to China. No, so in 2013, I moved to China. Uh-huh. I was making a TV show for Irish TV. The mission was to learn enough Chinese to do stand-up comedy in Chinese for a Chinese audience. Yeah. But really, to be honest, I'd been to China before on a holiday. I wanted to make an interesting series about modern China because I had seen... Well, actually, I came up with the idea originally in 2008, so there was a lot of lot of stuff about China at the time. You know, the Olympics was coming up in Beijing. And I, I thought, you know, there's just the everyday life of China is not being told. And the Chinese had a great sense of humor. So I really just wanted to make a series about China and Chinese people. And the sort of hook of learning the language and doing stand-up is enough to keep people, I think is enough to suck people in. I think China's interesting enough to keep them there once they're there. But I thought the hook of like stand-up and the language would- Yeah, because up. just even just going over there and learning Chinese is like pretty impressive. Yeah, but I mean- Actually, that part is the least interesting part in terms of like when you watch the show or when you when you sort of when you you came and saw saw the live show. I don't focus on that for that. No, long. you don't. Well, because it's it's very limited. I mean, literally. To, I, okay, the jokes that I tell in the show about the language, a little bit about Chinese characters, a little bit about tones, are the only ones that I can tell with a short setup. Mm-hmm. To do other jokes, you have to get into like translation and the difference in translation. It's just you have to explain too much. Then then you're into like seminar. I was curious though about the actual what you actually did to learn Chinese. I mean, I know you took classes. I mean, oh yeah. Well, I mean, originally. I took like I did like a little bit of introductory listening to tape stuff before I went to before I went to China while I was still in Ireland, and then initially I was just going to go to college. Like you sign up for a college course, its uh-huh. its biggest convenience is that you get a year long visa, multiple entry. You can come and go as you want, but the the actually those courses weren't great. So then I I got a private tutor. I I used to go to her like three times a week plus my classes every morning eight to eleven. But the, I think the biggest thing was I lived with a family. Like I lived full time for the entire year with a Chinese family. So I woke up speaking Chinese or listening to Chinese at the beginning, came back, ate dinner speaking Chinese, went to bed Chinese in my head. So I was literally completely immersed all the time. How you were there for a year? Yeah. The only English show that I ever watched my entire year was Breaking Bad. Yeah, you got to watch Breaking Bad. That was the only time I broke my fast. You know, I was on a, I was like, I'm not watching any English language stuff, but I broke my fast for Breaking Bad. Which was just on the Chinese internet, and it wasn't even an illegal download. It's actually very popular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I was walking through Beijing one day, and I saw a girl with a T-shirt that said, "I am the one who knocks." Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> so it was pretty. Anyway, that's that's a, that's a bit of a digression. But I was there for two years in the end. But my original plan was to only be there for a year. So, so you basically immersed yourself in Chinese. That's all you can without do. just you just watch Breaking Bad. 
is I was because I was thinking about this last night. I was like, I wonder maybe Chinese is we assume it's the hardest language to learn, but maybe it's no different than learning Spanish or anything. Yeah, I mean, or am I, I wrong mean, about that? I don't I don't really know how you say what's the toughest. Like they always say this is the toughest language of Finnish. It's always Finnish or Chinese that kind of comes up as the toughest language. I you know, I'm not sure. The thing that's tough about Chinese is the characters. The tones, to be honest, are tough because you can make a lot of mistakes. But actually in terms of conversation, you get away with it a lot more than you'd think. But the characters, there's just no way around it. You just have to learn thousands of things you didn't know before. And there's not that many tricks to that you know after a while if you learn about a thousand characters it is easy to learn the next two thousand but but not simple either you know there's a lot of repetition like two i mean i don't want to get too boring but no, no, there no. can be two or three characters in one character but a lot of times one of those three characters will give a hint to the meaning of right. of the other character so anyway that's the tough part and that's why it's probably more difficult than spanish but if you're surrounded by it all the time it is amazing how much you just absorb so are you fluent now? Are you considered fluent? I'm pretty fluent. Wow. I just organized a, a, a carer for my mother tomorrow completely in Chinese. That's, that's then, really cool. But I've, I, I, I guess the, 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 biggest, the biggest challenge for fluency is to be able to do stand-up and make them laugh. Now, you don't have to have great Chinese. I'm sure you've seen some comedians that, whose English isn't great. I mean, I've seen a few over the years. Yeah. But they can be quite funny. And sometimes it can even add to their routine that their broken English has got a bit of humor in it. I mean, my Chinese is definitely broken, but it's fluent broken Chinese. Like I can do stand up now very, like very well with my basic language and get a good result. How long? Now, stand up doesn't, does it even exist over there on any? It must have existed on some level, right? Well, okay. So, uh, Traditionally, there is actually a lot of Chinese humor, right? The yeah. one, the most famous one is called Xiangsheng, and it's like a two-hander. Some some people know about it. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but it's just like it, they call it cross-talk in English. And it's like Abbott and Costello, but that's huge in China, like massive. But it's quite traditional. And actually, they don't really believe so much in like the importance of writing the routines. The routines are kind of passed down. Now, obviously, there are some guys that are writing fresh ones. But there's a lot of sort of passing around of the routines. There's not there's not a culture like there's not a writing culture. So it's sort of like the vaudeville days or Catskills days where everyone was kind of like it was understood you were stealing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Except that they don't this isn't considered steal. I mean, you know, to be honest, copyright and sort of, you know, intellectual property rights are not that well respected in China anyway. Yeah. But in terms of this culture. So I'm gonna lose that lawsuit that I have You're gonna lose that pending lawsuit. The Chinese Todd Barry is definitely gonna get away with all his <laughs> his jokes. So uh anyway, uh there was that and that's very successful. And then I guess only in the last four or five years has been this emergence of what they call it Toko Show. They took it from talk show they directly translated talk show into toko show. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense in Chinese, but it, it sounds like talk show. And that encompasses not only stand-up comedy, but also like what we know as like a chat show. So this new culture of sort of Western style humor is toko show, which is either interviewing some guy uh -huh. or the, the, the middle version of it would be awful. What, like awful one man speaking into a camera with no audience. They also call that toko show. And then definitely what we do, which is like club comedy. Like that does exist also. And there is also a show now. There's a show called Baling Ho Toko Show. It's a post-80s comedy show. Post-80s is people that are born after 1980 is a big deal because that was the beginning of the one child policy. So they have a very distinct sort of cultural identity post-80s. So there's a post-80s toko show, post-80s stand-up comedy show. 
And that guy literally does a half an hour every show. He has no guests. He stands up. He does a half an hour. Every now and then there's like a little sketch in the middle. There's two ad breaks. So, so it's, it's the same guy talking? The same half. guy. And he does like 25 episodes a season. And he's just doing a half an hour every time. A new half hour. A new, yeah, a monologue. Essentially a 25 minute, like what a Letterman type monologue. Uh, so he's uh, like the Bill Burr of China. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, his, I, I, to be honest, I, in my later years of studying Chinese, I, I went to a new language school and we used his stand-up shows as just as a textbook, basically. So we would keep stopping and then I would learn the new words. And when I started to understand his routines, you know, he's not bad. He's not great. But like, I think we give him the benefit of the doubt because that is like, I think it's next to impossible. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Not to mention that he's not yeah. allowed to talk about 50% of the things we would talk about without without even thinking like he can't talk about the government can't be too dirty he certainly can't use bad words so he's like you know he's just relying on like everyday twitter joke type material every day for 26 minutes where did you do your shows over there so when i when i it, know you were on the dating show yeah the dating show is more for like for fun for a goof yeah we can talk about that a bit more in a minute but in terms of like stand-up so what happened was you know i just went there and i was gonna do a show at the end I didn't think stand-up existed. I knew about the crosstalk. But when I got there, about six months into it, I had started running an English language show. And then these Chinese guys were coming along. And one of them said, oh, there's a Chinese language open mic that's, that's started in Beijing. Now, I knew they had a bit of stand-up in Shanghai, which I heard wasn't great. But anyway, uh, I went to this open mic night. And it was buzzing. And uh, do you know who Joe Wang is? Yeah, from Boston. Yeah. So so Joe Wong, for, for the listeners that don't know, was a, is a Chinese guy, like from China, came to New, uh, America to do a PhD in Texas, and then uh, living in Boston, decided he would start to do stand-up comedy to better his English. Uh, but he had a great... His, his, his jokes were great, and he had this great take on America as an immigrant. And, you know, like Chinese, Chinese Americans, there's a lot of Asian American humor, but there wasn't a lot of like Chinese immigrant humor. And I think it was a pretty interesting take. But in the end, he was on The Letterman Show and he was on Ellen. And then he roasted Joe Biden. And when he roasted Joe Biden, that went hugely viral in China. Like, because the Chinese couldn't believe, like, one of our guys is right. is ripping on the second in command <laughs> of the most powerful nation in the world, right? So that's like outlandish for Chinese people. The fact that that anyone could rip on authority, for starters, is you can't do that in China. And then one of their guys is ripping on American authority. That's like, yeah, moment. It couldn't be any better. Yeah, that's, right? I would think they would love that. They yeah. absolutely love it. So that went hugely viral in China, subtitled with the Chinese characters. So he got so famous, he was offered a TV show in China off of that. So he returned. And I had already interviewed him. And at that time, I guess I was about four and a half months in He didn't even know about the open mic nights. And within two months, he started going. And when he started going, the whole thing blew up. Now, when I say blew up, I mean from nothing to something. Right. And... Very quickly, there was this big momentum around stand-up comedy in China. And by November, so November, I was there about 10 months. By November, that club, because they organized themselves into clubs, but a better word would be society. They kind of organized themselves into societies, which gets a little awkward later on. But at this time, we were all still friends. So they had their first ticketed show in November of 2013. So it went from literally nothing to selling tickets within a year. And now, now there's a huge stand-up comedy scene in Beijing. So it's like the the comedy boom of the '80s. It it hasn't got to that phase just yet, but hopefully, 
I'll, I'll be in the middle of that when I, to be honest, I'm such an egomaniac. All I care about, I don't even care about making money in China. Yeah. All I care about is that when the history of Chinese stand-up comedy is written, then I'm there like in chapter one about one of the guys that helped sort of establish the foundation. Yeah, I think you will be. Yeah, I mean, I, of course I'm kidding. I'm not that much of an egomaniac, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That thought did cross my mind. Why? I would, that would cross my mind. <laughs> yeah, if I could get all that work, you might as well get a little. <laughs> but it was fun, man. It was fun because literally these guys, like, they didn't even know. Like, obviously, my Chinese was terrible, but I kind of knew how to run a club. So they were helping me develop my routines because my, my language was just so limited. Uh, but they, like, didn't know about, like, how long a show should be. They didn't know about MCs. They didn't, they thought, that like check spot they didn't know about the they didn't know about the check spot yeah i i've been here a, a month i didn't know about the check spot the first time i heard the word check spot was three weeks ago really yeah some guy said to me i'm doing your check spot i was doing new york comedy club and he said i'm doing your check spot and i was like when is that i didn't even know what the check spot. you never heard the term before i you know maybe once but like only my brother had mentioned it, but I didn't really know when it was. Or I didn't know about the chicks. Yeah. You, know, you know, you've been to the UK, you've been to Ireland. Right. We don't have like the wait, waiter, waitress thing. No, we have do the break. breaks. We do breaks, which I prefer, but Americans, it's just what you're used to. But, but I mean, not to go on a check spot tangent, but there's no, I just work a club stress factory in New Jersey. Right. Where they, they don't do a check spot. And I talked to the guy, I go, it's pretty nice that you don't do a check spot. He's, he goes, we, I can't even remember how many walkouts we have. It's, it's not even significant, the amount of people. Because that's why they do it. They're afraid of people walking out on their check. Oh, is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. So they dump the check in the middle of the show, oh. ruin the show, because one guy every six months might walk out on oh, his $30. that's why it is? Yeah. It's such a, a buzzkiller. I mean, I to be honest, I find it tough even just when a waitress is taking an order. Yeah. I'm so not used to it. And food, I mean, between all that. Yeah, I, I find that I find that tough. But I believe in the stand here, they 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 wait till the end. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that we went off on a. Well, that's okay. I mean, yeah, that's you, right. you're it's a comedy podcast. podcast. I assume that people are. No, man. It, there's no there's no tangents on my podcast. <laughs> Sorry, man. Let's stay focused. <laughs> Let's stay focused. So anyway, stand up comedy now yeah. exists in China, but it's all very small, and uh, it you, you know to get bigger you have to apply to the censor. Oh, so okay. we've been I've been avoiding that as well. And there's also like where do you let's say a guy does the open mic and gets twenty five or a half hour. It's not like it's not like he's gonna work the funny bone in Beijing or something, right? Well that's the thing, there's no career. I mean, this is the thing we discuss all the that's time. That's gonna be next, I wonder. The the funny bone in Beijing. Or yeah, like someone'll open a comedy club there. Uh well yeah, I mean to be honest, I, I, I nearly I nearly did it at one stage, one of the places that we use for open mics apparently was up for lease and the price seemed really small so i i inquired but it turned out they were just trying to lease out like the bad nights uh -huh. they were they were trying to get somebody to look after the bad nights but i do think that will happen but it's not easy you know you can't just like you can't just buy a bar in beijing and turn it into a comedy club to turn it into like an actual performance space you have to apply for a performance you know you'd have to apply for a performance license and then you'd be subject to censorship at all times. Yeah, I think that when I heard the Rolling Stones went over them, they said, you can't do these songs. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they said, oh, I don't know. Do you, any idea what songs they told them they couldn't uh, I don't remember, but I mean, that but could be half the Rolling Stones. That happens all the time. I, mean, I think there's a few people that can't play China anymore because they didn't pay attention. I think Bjork, I think Bjork fell foul of the, yeah. the Chinese censors in the past. But stand-up is particularly sensitive because they know... You know, they know that the the culture of stand-up is to be a little bit anti-authority. 
So they're very sensitive about stand-up. But the great thing is it's so unpopular <laughs> that it's it, it's so un, not that it's not well known. So the small gigs come under almost no pressure at all. And then the big gigs are censored. We're giving, I was censored once. So Joe Wong, so Joe Wong helped me oh, out. Oh yeah, that's right. So Joe Wong helped me out a lot, right? And in uh, Christmas time of 2013, he had a week of shows in Shanghai in an 800 seater venue, completely sold out. So he's like, <laughs> after he's he's busting out, like he's big time in uh -huh. China now. So he asks me to open up with my 10 and a half months of Chinese. He asks me to open for him, but they, the theater who were producing his show asked me to send them all the routines, which I had to write in Chinese characters, by the oh way. I had to write my crappy entry-level jokes in Chinese characters. And they told me that... So I, my bank of routine is a difference between the way that the mainland Chinese people write characters, which is the, the simplified version, which is kind of a modern version of characters. And in Taiwan and Hong Kong, they still use sim the traditional version, which is a little bit more elaborate. But sometimes the elaborate characters make more sense because... They have characters within characters and they have a bit of meaning. So there's a good, there's a good play. So without like over explaining it, the character for love is different between the two. Uh -huh. But in the original character for love, in the traditional form, there's a heart character in the middle of it. But in the new character, there's only a friendship character in the middle of it. So I make a joke about how the old love was better than the new love. The old love was deeper. But then I talk about how marriage now is all about money. So I wrote a new character and it has a dollar sign uh -huh. in the middle of it. It's just a quick visual <laughs> That's joke. Good. Yeah, but it's a cute little joke, yeah. right? I couldn't do it. Why? Because they said they still use traditional characters in Taiwan. And you can't say that the Taiwanese characters are better than the mainland characters. Oh, my God. So now that is not an official government line, you know, but... People are so paranoid. They're so unsure of what you can and can't say that it was the theater that censored me. Oh, the theater said, okay. Yeah, the theater said you just, it's better that you don't do that. Yeah. So that's kind of what you're dealing with. They got that whole expat comedy scene over there in China. Huge. And and some guys but have those gone guys, over. Yeah, I mean, because I almost did it, but it, it involved too much. Uh, I just like to go to a country and go, I'm a comedian and this is the way it is. Yeah. I don't like to be like, hey, I'm, just, uh, I'm just on vacation. Like oh, shit well, like oh, that. Like, <laughs> I know what you that. mean. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not sure which guys were trying to bring you over, yeah. but they told you that you have to come in on a holiday visa, right? Well, they, well, I don't want to get the guy in trouble, but I don't remember his name either. So, but it was just a thing. Where was like, it through Shanghai? I think it was definitely Hong Kong. And, and I think Shanghai. But yeah, it was a thing where they're the, like, you're not going to get those guys in trouble. I, I know I know the people. But he was like, yeah, you go to the Chinese consulate, tell them you're a consultant. I'm like, oh, okay, we're off to a good <laughs> So I'm lying before I leave to play to, for China. Yeah, and yeah, I just yeah. said, you know what, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's I'll, a bit. I'll go where Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, that expat comedy scene is pretty popular. Actually, it's funny because it gets so much coverage in the Western media because the Western media want the story of like, Stand up, you know, this incredibly free art form in a place that's not free. But right. it turns out to like the Chinese government could care less about the expat comedy scene. It's, Why is that? Why don't they care about that? Because it's in English. It doesn't even matter. Oh, so you're not really like. Yeah, and they know we're changing shot. any opinions. Yeah, they know we're shot anyway. They know we're poisoned with sort of anti Chinese sentiment anyway. So it's just like, whatever. Let the foreigners say what they want to say. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they could care less. So, so that scene is fun. I mean, I love doing it. And I mean, for me, especially, I mean, talking about going local, I mean, if you can talk about the experiences that you're having in China to a bunch of people that are having similar experiences, that's like the ultimate sort of like uh -huh. local extravaganza of humor, you know? So they, it, it's great fun. And, and, and I like, I like having an audience that 
listen to that too because there's not many people that kind of understand. So did you do the Joe Wong shows? So I did the five Joe Wong shows. Oh man, yeah, were the, they I, fun? Oh, it was amazing. The first night, so like, uh, you know, they they don't get it right. So they made me they made me dress rehearsal the night before. <laughs> Yeah. To like silence, right? On a massive stage, I had to do my crappy Chinese jokes. And like with no atmosphere, my jokes are, in Chinese, my jokes aren't great. I mean, whatever. People say, your jokes are good. Like in Chinese, my jokes are pretty basic. But without atmosphere and my crappy Chinese, they're really, really weak. Uh -huh. And my confidence was like of going through the floor at the dress rehearsal. They made you say every word? Every single word, word for word. And then they were like, oh, I think it's a little short time-wise. I was like... Oh it's going to be a little shorter without any reaction whatsoever. <laughs> so they were really not confident in me. I could feel it too, you know, and they were like giving me advice. And I was just like, guys, like, I, I trust me, like on the night, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And then it was great. Oh my God. When that room was full, I couldn't believe how easy it was. It was the atmosphere was like pumping. Yeah, and also there's probably a little bit of like, holy shit, this guy speaks Chinese. There definitely is, especially especially because Joe is now like a little bit famous. So he would sort of be attracting, you know, not just cosmopolitan people. Like people would be coming in from the suburbs and they wouldn't be as exposed to like Western things. So they would have been like, wow, this is this is amazing. So is he living over there now? He's full-time over there, yeah. He moved. Well, His son no is there. Idea. His son is in school. And, yeah, no. So the whole PhD thing's out the window? That, he hasn't been using that for years. <laughs> he's, he, he, he threw that, that PhD was an absolute waste of time. No, no, he's a full-time making a career. Yeah. That's, pr that's pretty cool. Yeah. Where? What was I going to say? What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say <laughs> the thing that I, you know, because there's a lot of foreigners on Chinese TV speaking Chinese, but their thing is that they speak good Chinese, but there's really never been a foreigner with not great Chinese doing what he does well. So, for example, there's never been somebody with crappy Chinese coming over and just being, like, really good at doing a one-man show uh -huh. or something. So that's my advantage. There's never been a guy that's... I'm clearly confident in telling jokes. Right. Just my Chinese isn't great. So that that's to my advantage. Did, um... You learn Mandarin, right? Mandarin, yeah. That's, like... Mandarin's, like, standard Chinese. Yeah, because some will sound like Cantonese is, like... Is it... Hong Kong. Is it just Hong Kong? Hong Kong and Guangdong, like the the the, the province just north of Hong Kong, but it's part of the mainland. They speak uh, Cantonese or Guangdonghua, like Guangdong language. How's the food over there? Well, the food is amazing. Chinese is badly represented here. You know. Yeah, like, I would imagine. Yeah, man. Like, I I I kind of don't understand because, like, I think now Chinese food has a reputation for being a bit like fast food. N not high quality, but yeah, in China, the, the the cuisine it's like incredible and it's so vast and diverse, oh and it doesn't God. get represented here at all. Now in Flushing, because I'm from Flushing, Queens originally. Yeah, you got it good over there. Flushing's good now. Like Flushing feels a bit more like China, and I, I and I do think it's kind of kicking off. I think people in the city know that you can, you know, Flushing is a destination. But in terms of like, there's still not like. You have to go to this Chinese restaurant, super expensive, hard to get a table restaurant in New York, which I find weird because the standard of food is definitely as up there as whatever other fusion cuisine is is bringing in the the jet setters. Right. Do you know I, what I mean? Yeah. I was in San Francisco and they, in Chinatown, they have a school to teach Americanized Chinese food. Oh, Americanized <laughs> Chinese. But I think that's what we got used to eating, Americanized yeah. Chinese food. Well, you learn how to make sesame chicken, I guess, which I assume is an Americanized thing. I think sesame chicken is an Americanized <laughs> thing. But Kung Pao chicken is Gong Bao Ji Ding. And that is, uh, that is a pretty popular dish really? in China. It's, oh my God, that's so good. But it's so good, man. And it's... Unfortunately, in China, it has become a bit of a stereotype that that's what we love to eat. 
but Chinese people eat it too. But it's definitely like they they make fun of foreigners because foreigners will always order kung pao chicken, but it is super tasty. Yeah, it's like, yeah and it's, it's much like you guys spicier. are eating it, and it's oh, it's a lot spicier in China. It's spicier, and I mean, I don't want to turn this into a food podcast. I, but I love talking about food. There's mala, mala is like I've never experienced this type of spice before. Maybe you have, but I love it now. So it kind of numbs your mouth. Have you ever eaten something? Also, oh, like peppercorns. Yeah, and it, you get your mouth gets numb. It tastes sort of metallic, even. Is that sometimes? What we're yeah. yeah. And your, your mouth feels like it's like kind of buzzing. Like, yeah. zzz, zzz. I'm addicted to that now. But they put the mala in the, the Kung Pao Chi Dian, the, the, oh, the Kung Pao chicken. I bet they don't do brown rice over there, do they? They don't do brown rice over there. They don't worry about gluten. <laughs> There's a lot of things that they don't really worry about that much. I actually worked at a Chinese restaurant when I was 17. And I remember they, I ate some, I just took, helped myself. I was a bus, no, I was dishwashing. I helped myself to some rice out of the rice cooker. And they were just making fun of me, like, "Oh, no gravy! You don't want any gravy? Like, <laughs> you're just eating rice <laughs> yeah, because that 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 would be like like you were living during the famine. You know, you're just happy to have a bit of staple." Yeah, I just thought they were making fun of me because like Americans need gravy and everything. But uh, yeah, it was fine. But the one thing that you can't, no matter how good the Chinese food here is in New York or in Ireland for that matter, the rice is not as good. The rice is just better in China. Really, the meat is better here. That's what I love about being back in New York. I, I, I eat a lot of dishes that I eat in China, and I feel the flavor is not as good, but the meat's much better quality here. You know, there's better food safety here. Yeah. They, Did they, you get sick, however? This time, no. The first time, I was within 24 hours. I went in 2004 for a holiday with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, we were in the hospital the next morning. Oh, my God. Yeah, we both literally, at the same time, felt it coming out both ends. I mean, it was awful. Oh. Awful. Have you ever had food poisoning before? I have, yeah. It's just... Not no... Yeah, I guess I did go to the hospital. We just went because it just wasn't ending. Right. And it was just yeah, so that's bad. But anyway, in the, I mean, I think going to a Chinese hospital is just as dangerous as having food poisoning anyway. So it was probably <laughs> a bad move. But anyway, I did have it. But I didn't have it this time. And I was overly cautious for like the first six months. But the, it's a liberation. When you stop worrying and you just start eating all the street food, like yeah. the street food in China is incredible. Oh Especially the, the, the lamb skewers like on the street like the china the beijing kind of drinking culture i mean i don't drink but it's you you eat le uh, lamb skewers barbecued with like this amazing uh roasted bread and you just drink beer and eat those and and sometimes they do like fried potatoes and it just sit oh outside for hours and it's great beijing i tell you man if anyone's looking for like a cool city to go to from any time from sort of may to october beijing is a really cool city and it's got a cool a lot of cool stuff going on it's got like a punk scene and yeah. it's got like a lot of things that i think actually some people might think is missing from new york it's what, got a bit of an edge what about coffee they drink coffee the coffee's getting better but the milk is bad really can't get great milk it's all uht milk it's all you know uht is like that doesn't go off i don't know what that is i guess it's ultra pasteurized it just it doesn't you can it doesn't have to be in the fridge and it, it just oh really yeah you know the the, the little coffee the little coffee, coffee all that stuff that you that's get uht when you're at a when you're at a and courtyard oh, by marriott near yes, the bar, breakfast buffet exactly as, as spoken like a true road <laughs> comedian and powdered milk is big there so the milk is not great but the coffee's getting better there's a lot of like hip cafes now oh, maybe i'll go to beijing you should go well, you know, maybe you can just pretend you're a consultant. Exactly. And head over there. I'm here to consult. And, uh, but those guys, well, you know, you 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 could probably, you know, Louis C.K. did a show there, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I think he filmed an episode in Beijing. But I, I. Oh yeah, that's right. And so while he was there, he wanted to do one show. So a local promoter, the Western guy, put on a show for him in a theater, and. Uh, you know, like guys that have a bit of profile, particularly in the States, not so much the European guys, 
But guys that have a bitter profile in the States actually sell quite a lot of tickets amongst the expats. Uh-huh. So if you wanted, I could help organize something <laughs> that would be worth your while. But you definitely would have to lie about why you were going to China. I'll just go. I'll go there on vacation. Just go on vacation and I'll put on a couple of dates for you. But <laughs> an interesting story about Louis C.K.'s show. He he pushed it a little far with the content. Not not about government stuff, but in terms of like uh, it was a little dirty talking uh-huh. about talking about stuff i mean i don't want to libel him but he, apparently allegedly oh let's libel him yeah allegedly he was talking about uh stuff with old older chinese women you know senior citizens oh really i think it was probably an improv and uh there was <laughs> quite a lot of controversy afterwards apparently that's funny i didn't even know he, i knew he did his show over there i didn't know he did a show over there yeah 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 but it was a major success and like tickets sold out in like an hour and uh, you know the expat community were, were were crazy for it. God, the guy's just so lucky. The guy just can't do anything wrong, even so, in, even in China. So, you wait, did I meet you in New York originally? Yeah. No, originally we met at Kilkenny. Oh, okay. That's how we knew each other originally. Okay. And then uh, that was my I mean, first trip we, to Ireland, and Louis was with me. And, that's right, and, Louis uh, C.K. and Daniel Dimit- Tosh and Dimitri. Oh, oh, the Daniel Tosh was the first one. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. And that yeah. I've only been kill Kenny once. It was me, Louis, Daniel Tosh, Jake Johansson. I thought I think you did Reggie it twice. McFadden. No. Oh Why yeah. haven't I done it again? I should do it again. Yeah, I remember when Louis C.K. was there and he but there was years before he was like Yeah, he was super big. He but was he was very nothing. popular at the festival. Yeah. They, yeah, who is he then? But <laughs> but it's funny because I mean I don't see him that much, but you know, we were relatively friendly as a result of that. And then uh, you know, anytime I see you uh, Jake Johansson too. Well, it's funny how Kenny binds people because you know it's just like such a fun weekend. That was fun. Yeah. Um, like even when it was when I wasn't doing well, it was fun. It's just <laughs> like oh wow, I'm in this little weird back room in a pub, and these people are staring at me. But it was the, be- the it was best then. David was Cross. It? David Cross had a terrible time when he went there. Yeah, I think a lot of comics have. I think a lot of the American guys just yeah. don't have enough time to transition into. Because I can feel that coming back here, even though I'm American. I sometimes, not as much lately, but certainly 10 years ago or eight years ago, I would come back here and it would take me, it would take me a good few shows to kind of like get the pace and get the sort of, get the things I should talk about. Yeah, we kill hard over here. Yeah, you kill. I mean, you guys just, you just, you just get the American pace, man. You're just on it. Did you start comedy in Ireland? Yeah, yeah. I'm an Irish comic with a New York accent. Like that's, I'm not an American comic. I wasn't sure if he started here or. Nah, man. I was still in college. You know, I went to boarding school in Ireland when I was 14. Never left. Went to college. College education was free. The government paid for your education. You went University of Cork, right? University of Cork, and then I was in the drama society. And this guy, guy I knew from not drinking, actually, was a resident MC of this like college comedy club. And pushed me to get on stage, and then I just did it. And then Father Ted was on. Did you ever see Father Ted? No, I mean I actually have seen Father Ted, and I did a show with Ardell. Yeah, so Father Ted was on at the time, right? It's ninety-seven. It was still a, like a, an ongoing series, and it was huge. So suddenly there was like this mini Irish comedy boom. Like the whole UK comedy industry was looking at Ireland, thinking that like everybody in Ireland was funny. So they were really looking for comics, and there was none. I mean, there was just not a lot of comics in Ireland at the time. So I just kind of got sucked into like feeling like I could make a living out of it very quick because I just happened to start at a time where they were desperate for talent. Right. So I just got a little lucky. And then because I was an American who could do Irish accents and I knew about Ireland. Like I know American guys used to come to Kilkenny and they would like hate going on with me because they'd be like, who is this guy? I don't even, they wouldn't even, like the crowd would be like laughing and they wouldn't even know what I was talking about. You know, <laughs> I'd be talking about like Irish things, be meaningless to them. So anyway, that, that, that I, I got into it in Ireland and I, I didn't do a gig. The first gig I ever did in New York, Eddie Brill 
got me a spot on on Caroline's on a Monday night. It was like new comedy night yeah. or something. And he did it as a favor because he used to like going over and doing gigs in Cork. And I got to know him there. And I kind of bombed actually. And he was like, kind of, he kind of, he kind of gave out to me. <laughs> he kind of was like, yeah, man, what are you doing? Like you sort of pretended to be Irish and you, you know, next time you come here, make sure you know what you're doing. He was like, he was, really? Yeah. But in a, in a kind of a fatherly way. Wow. You know? Yeah. He kind of, he kind of gave me a talking to, I guess because he had said to people, Hey, I saw this guy now and he's great. And then I sort of like let him down. Like it must've been really bad. Cause it was, if it was new talent night, all those people were amateurs. You're like a, you're like a pro and you're still eating it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that was and that was like I guess I was doing comedy two or three years by that stage. By the time I did my first gig in New York, and then you got how long before you, you got pretty huge over there? Or you are huge over there. Yeah. Well, what happened was in two thousand three, I I did this television series about living on minimum wage. Uh huh. Which, if anyone listening out there has read Barbara Ehrenreich's Nickel and Dimed, it was a little bit inspired by that. So she had gone undercover and worked minimum wage jobs and just talked about the experience. I wasn't undercover. But Ireland was like changing at the time and there was a lot of immigrants. And I ended up working with a lot of immigrants, which Ireland had never had. Irish people were immigrants, you know, and Irish people weren't doing, doing too well with the sort of tables being turned. You know, they saw themselves, Irish people saw themselves as being sort of the much loved sort of visitors to other countries, but they certainly didn't see themselves as not being that welcoming to the visitors of their own country. But it turned out, the transition was a little difficult. So that kind of came up as a big theme in the series and Ireland was like in the middle of a boom. So it kind of just pinged. It was just a timing thing. The series ended up being a little controversial. And as a result, I got well-known sort of overnight. And I think still, even though I'd been in Ireland since 1990, Irish people still thought that I was just some American to, that came over to make this series. Uh -huh. So there was an added sort of energy to it because they were like, wow, this American guy knows a lot about Ireland. And he, you know, he seems to make some pretty astute observations about Ireland. So I guess I kind of, I, I sort of accidentally happened upon large success. Oh my God. Yeah. Because I, I remember walking around you, with you in Dublin and you got recognized quite a bit. Yeah, a bit. Well, actually I was Eugene Merman. So I, you know, you did the Ivy Gardens. Yeah. Right? Eugene was with us. So, so yeah, I, I think it was the same year. So our thing was always to get guys over to the International, which is the little club. Yeah, I my, did that. Yeah. Myself and my brother run this little room above a bar, right? So we'd always be like, great, we get the Americans, you know, because Bren likes booking Americans. So we'd like, I'd be like dragging guys over. So me and Eugene were walking to the International and a homeless guy who was begging on the street got up and was like, oh, Des Bishop, I love your show. You know, So Eugene was like, that's pretty famous. Like the homeless guys right. are all over you. You had to give to that homeless guy. About yeah, yeah. Oh, I gave, I gave him a bit. It had been pre-organized. <laughs> that room was great, though. That um. Yeah, no mic. Yeah, do you, is that a choice or is that just a? You know, well, I inherited that from the Wednesday nights. Is actually the night Ardle that you mentioned before, yeah. and Barry Murphy and Kevin Gildy started a night that kind of created stand-up comedy in Dublin, but it certainly created stand-up comedy in that place. And then it got so popular, they opened somebody else opened a Thursday, but he didn't want to do it, and he gave it to me, and then I took over the Thursday. Anyway, th they had already been using no mic. I think at the time it was '88 when they started. I guess it was just a practical thing. The room seemed small, and then it just became a thing that the international had no mic. I mean, it's very small. Yeah. But a lot of guys that aren't used to it complain. Eddie Izzard complained. Really. Eddie is complained. Yeah. See, I would think he because he's pretty presentational and pretty big with his style that it would be even less of a problem yeah but i guess i guess because he has a rhythm you know like a lot of his stuff is quite absurd and it requires like a bit of a pace and yeah. i think 
I think if you have to wait for the laugh to finish, it might ruin his pace a bit. Yeah. You know, he can't sort of talk. It's like sometimes you can't talk over the laugh. Like, especially if you have like a series of sort of add on punchlines, yeah. you know, like sort of run on punchlines. I guess it can ruin your, it can mess with your rhythm a little bit. We call those taglines in the States. Is that what you call them, taglines? <laughs> Teaching you all those American I, comedy I didn't, terms. I didn't have the, uh, <laughs> I didn't have the, the vernacular for that one. <laughs> so uh, him and Ross Noble were the only two that complained ever about no mic. Yeah, I mean, I prefer a mic, but I, I, I also was like, all right, that's the way they do it here. I've had mics. I've brought mics in specifically a number of times. Oh, you have? Yeah. Do you want to guess one of the comedians we brought it in for? Uh-huh. I mean, it's a bit broad. Was it, it was Reggie Watts. Oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have much room to yeah, get yeah, on the mic. Yeah, yeah. Although, he, uh, Reggie Watts' acoustic would be interesting. Yeah, so Reggie and um, actually, Flight of the Concords did it acoustically. No yeah. mic. And, uh, well, David McSavage has come in with, an, a, with a box a couple of times, but I don't think you know him that well. No. He's an Irish guy. Do people, know. like, on tour go to the International Room, like, as part, as, like, a destination? No. No, it's too small. It's too small. But what often happens, like, somebody like Rich Hall, if he's doing, like, a big night in Dublin, he'll, he'll slide over. Jimmy Carr always comes over. Uh, Daniel Kitson just does it if he's around. Uh, Louis Black did it for me. Don Barrera did it for me. Uh, a number of guys have, 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 have popped in. Louis, Louis C.K. did it yeah. the same night as he opened up for me and didn't have a good show and then blogged about it. Yeah, he did blog about it. So yeah, and that's, then, that's fair game to talk about. No, we don't have to talk about no, that. No, no. I'm only kidding. But anyway, he did, he did the International the same night. He was kind of went to the International to dust off. Uh, dust off. Oh, the tough. same night? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just to kind of get, get into the zone. He was a little jet-legged. That is the thing about comedy is that that can dust you off. You can be like, all right, I'm going to go to this place and there's no way it's going to not go well two times in one night. Yeah, but then if it does, then you really have a confidence crisis. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, the worst is when you have a ripper, and then you got to do a late show, and then the late show is kind of crap, and you go to bed with like negative feelings, and you think this is ridiculous. Like I, I felt like a king two hours ago, I know. and or, now I'm going to bed feeling like a failure. Or if you rehearse for a TV spot and it doesn't go well the night before, or there's the other thing where it goes well and then on TV it doesn't go well. It looks terrible. Yeah. Well, to be honest, all TV spots put me in a real tizzy, man. Like TV spots wreck my. My uh, my happiness for weeks in advance. Yeah, they ruined. My, I I I think someone pointed out to them. I'm quoting someone quoting me. They uh, they were talking about doing Letterman, and I was just like, well, it, it is going to ruin your day. <laughs> I mean, I saw. I've never done any of the American. I mean, it's just so nerve wracking. I've never done any of the American chat shows, but sometimes I just get anxiety thinking about the fact that it might happen. Yeah, I just start to think about what would I do and where would my head be at. You know, I can never. I mean, that, that, that's got to be a mental thing. I'm sure somebody like Tony Robbins would like to get into my brain. Uh -huh. A motivational speaker would like to say, that's like, a, that's like a mental state that you've put yourself into. But I always think, what would be the ideal time for me to get that spot? And I can never think when that would be. So I think I have a bit of a mental block about TV. You mean spot. what time? Like No, just like, what time in your career? Would it be yeah. like after like three months of just gigging four nights a week every night in New York where you just have like your, your punchiest five minutes? Because what happens is, in, in in the UK and Ireland, you just do so many one hour plus shows that you you lose your sort of you get you 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 know how to tell a, a really good one hour show, but you lose your sharpness for like the walking up on stage, boom, automatic. Well, there are people whose acts just lend themselves to TV. Like if yeah. your jokes are twenty seconds or thirty seconds, it's perfect. It's perfect, yeah. But if you're more of a you know a meanderer or a rambler. It might be a little like, okay, well, that wasn't very impressive. It was like, well, you have to watch that guy for at least 20 minutes. Yeah, well, that's me, unfortunately. You know, a lot of the time, that's me. So I find it hard to like, 
You know, I, like a seven minute bit, I can do it, but I need like three minutes to like set up the premise. But the whole bit is about the one thing. You yeah. Know? And then the second half is joke heavy, but the first three minutes is a little setty uppy. I think that should be your next goal is to do a TV spot in the States. That's my, that, that's kind of my next goal. If anybody's listening, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, but I wouldn't mind doing one though. I mean, to be honest, like I'm happy, I'm happy enough. You know, my career has been fine. I'm yeah. very comfortable. Like I love what I do traveling around. But it's weird. I still have this thing that, like, if I did a TV spot in the States, then all my friends that I grew up with would believe that right. I'm decent at what I do. Because <laughs> right now, they're just kind of going on yeah. sort of, like, stuff they've read about in Ireland. Or, you, you know, like links to uh, the Irish press. Yeah, some good review in Edinburgh. You know, because I'd be, like, Facebook and my good review in Edinburgh or in Melbourne or something. And they'd be like, oh, I think things are going good for you over there. But it mean, doesn't really mean anything for right, them. Right, unless you do. Yeah. I just need, yeah, maybe James Corden will hook me up. You friends with him? I watched. Well, a lot of mutuals, but I just saw like the I saw the the news stuff because you know my mother's at home and I've been kind of looking after, so I was watching like all the morning the morning shows. Yeah, and he he definitely had a good night. It seems. He yeah, seemed... he did. I watched most a lot of it, and he did a good job. Like I I didn't even know who he was. Oh, you didn't? I had no idea. I've never. I mean, yeah, I mean he's pretty big in the UK. But... He used to host like a sports kind of quiz show, a League of Their Own. Yeah, he had. A, he he's had done a, some movies. He had a good little. You know. It was, kind of different he's got a good pure rapport stand-up. right yeah yeah he's he's very likable he's likable and he's a little chubby and he's, he's, he's <laughs> i wasn't gonna bring that he's got it he's got it going on but i saw what happened with mila well he got he got a scoop didn't he mila kunis is married oh yeah yeah that was so that was like that was the a bombshell but i mean mila kunis and tom hanks is your first guess i mean he also brought them both out at once which i thought was cool Oh, I didn't notice that. Well, it's I apparently just saw something like a, Graham Norton does. That, that's what Graham Norton does. That's such a great... I was like, oh, that's a fucking great idea. Well, dude, it's great. If you're like a guest... So say like... So Todd Barry and then two superstars. So you get to play off the two right, superstars. You, you get to make all the whenever, comments. Right. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, that's a Graham Norton thing and it's a very it's a very smart thing. They used to do that more on Johnny Carson years ago, like leave people out. But yeah. then they sort of stopped doing that. Right. And there was always the guest who had to leave. Oh, is oh, that what it is? Yeah, They're super like, busy. Yeah, like, hey. But then sometimes you can just get guests that have no sense of humor. Yeah. You know, and that can be tough. But Graham Norton's pretty good at, like, making sure he doesn't have them. And also, Graham Norton is just good at just making people feel like it's all a bit of fun. Right. Um, are you going to go back to China to do, to tour or anything? Well, I'm going out with a Chinese girl now, so I have to go back there just to try to keep that alive. Because she's lovely. And it's oh, she lives in China? Yeah. Oh. She doesn't speak English. Would you have gone over there if you didn't have the TV show? Or was that just nah. kind of... No? No, nah, I mean... I had originally, I tried to go in 2009 and make like a six-week pilot because nobody, like people were sort of like uh, procrastinating about funding the project. Uh So I wanted to just make like a six-week pilot and then see if I could use that to to get some people to bite. But, and then every now and then I thought, well, I just go, but you can't really, you know, you're leaving behind too much. So even though the money was crap from Irish TV, it was enough to make it happen. Yeah. I just about broke even. But I mean, obviously, I'm not complaining because afterwards you end up with, no. you know, loads of things to do. You know, like it, it was an absolutely life-changing, positive experience. I'm not complaining at all. But definitely, I don't think I would have just went yeah. for a year. It would have been too much. And you're moving back here to the States, you told me. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I'm two years out of Ireland now, so I'm out of the habit. And... You know, the funny thing about China is, well, obviously it's very international in terms of like the way you start looking at things because you end up in sort of like a lot of journalists, you know, you just end up in like a different set of people. Yeah. So it kind of pulled me away from sort of like, 
even just Europe, Eurocentric stuff and just tended to be a little more sort of American-centric stuff. Plus, I just hadn't been gigging in Irish comedy clubs. So suddenly I found myself just a lot more comfortable coming back here, jumping up on stage and doing a set. So I thought, I'll just run with that and try to do some stuff in the States for a couple of years before I settle down back into Ireland. Oh, you were going to move back to Ireland? Eventually, yeah. I mean, Ireland is my everything. I, I've been in Ireland since I'm 14. So you're kind of, wow, you're a real rambler, man. I am now. I didn't mean that to happen. It just happened by chance, you know? But that's all right. I'm, I'm fine with it. But also the other motivation for moving back was I love doing stuff in Chinese, but it's too difficult in China with, between the censorship, but also just the fact that there's no money in it in China at all. I thought it'd be great to continue the Chinese stuff, but do it with, uh, with Chinese that live abroad. So I'm hoping to like, you know, tour... Uh, Chinese uh, heavy cities in New York or sorry in America and just do like you know sort of either shows in English about China or even shows in Chinese but you're not going to do like touring comedy clubs here right? I want to do touring yeah. comedy clubs also basically my plan is for the next two years is to really be based in the States and to do as much as I possibly can in America for career reasons but more just like I don't know is it, does it sound a bit wanky to say creative reasons no. I just kind of want to be inspired by like supposed to be creative yeah new. I want to be inspired by new things I want to see if like American being around American comedians being in this American you know in the American vibe will you know drive me to write things in a different way or you know, I just I just want to be around new inspirations. Holy shit. And you're going to live in New York? I think, you know, I'm going to live in Flushing, man. I'm going back to where I grew up because it's it's completely changed. It's like moving to a new country. It's China. Flushing is very like China. So did you get a place? I got a place. In Flushing? Crappy condo. Yeah, I got a condo. In like no an famous old, people live in Flushing. No famous people live in Flushing. But Jerry Seinfeld went to Queens College, which is actually just up the road from where I bought an apartment. Well, there you go. There's there you a go. bit of... Oh, oh, hey. Um, oh, God. Greg Giraldo went to the same uh, grammar school as me. Really? St. Kevin's, yeah. Now, I know a lot of comics who live in Queens. Yeah, Queens now has become like a bit of a go-to spot. Yeah, yeah. But that's more... a fresh thing. So you got a condo? I got a condo. Like a tall condo thing? Like a, in like a 1961 built. Did you buy of, it or you're renting it? Well, I'm giving away a lot about myself. Okay. But I, but I bought I'm not going to get your address. I bought it. I'm not going to ask how much it was. Either. I bought it. I bought it as an investment because I can, if I'm not using it, I can rent it to Chinese people because it's literally entirely Chinese there. And you have two houses in Does Dublin. Does that make me a cap? You, no, you, there's a lot of Chinese people in my building. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're big on buying property. But um, Oh, yeah, because this is pretty close to Chinatown, actually. Let's not reveal where I live. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, we're in downtown Manhattan here yeah, in yeah. Todd Barry's apartment. But uh, yeah, so uh, I, yeah, the Dublin thing, that was a mistake. I bought at the peak of the boom. Oh. Yeah. So you have two houses? I have, I have three now. Do you really? Yeah, that was, the first two were an accident. <laughs> I'm trying to play it down. I don't even well, know why we're talking. I'm t I, I, now it's like the, we don't the, have to talk about the real estate. How come when I was in Dublin, I didn't stay at one of your houses? Well, just... I don't. You know, you've been to Dublin a number of times. You may have even been there and not contacted me on Holy a number shit. of occasions. That may have happened. I think you, I don't. Think who are your Irish? Who are your? Who's your Irish crew? There's you, um, Dave O'Darty. Oh, O'Darty and. Uh, Charlie. Oh, Charlie, you're friendly yeah. with Charlie. Have yeah. you done his? Oh, his, podcast his podcast is a little bit. Irish, right? Yeah, I think so. Which is unfortunate because, well, I'm sure he'll eventually have to broaden out because this podcast is very good, actually. An Irishman abroad. Yeah, and he's done a good thing. But with he that. just worked. With, I just worked with him in Dublin. He he opened for me in Dublin. Oh, and, did he? And in uh, Galway. Oh, cool. Oh, so you were just back over? 
Yeah, I was there maybe six months ago or something. Oh, so you got your own. You uh, weren't there, were you? I wasn't there. I was in okay. China. But do you do you think now that because of well various things, flight of the Concords and other things that you've done, that you you can actually go and fill medium sized venues? I mean, I played a couple hundred seat place. The uh, what was the call? The, the Sugar Club, right? Sugar Club. And yeah, it, you it, loved it. Audience was. It was one of those things where you know where you walk on stage and and you just go, oh my god, all I have to do is it's do open. the show, mm. and. They're just, they were so sweet just before I said anything. But if Irish crowds are into you, it's like, yeah. I think they're the best. I, I know you were saying before that sometimes it hadn't gone well, but I think when your crowd in Ireland yeah, find you, yeah. that's the best crowd in the world. Because I did that festival in the Ivy Gardens where some of the shows were good, some of them were a little rough. But also, like, if they're there to see Ardle and they yeah, don't know that, who I am, it's a little tougher. And that can be tough, you know, because, like, Ardle's crowd is... Well, Ardell's crowd is just coming from all over. Yeah. So some of them, I mean, this is not a criticism of no, them, but some of them. He was really good. Yeah. Some of them would just maybe find it tough to get into your rhythm or whatever because they just hadn't, they haven't seen like a ton of yeah. comedy. But when your crowd go to find you in Dublin, I think it's the best in the world. I know. I want to go back. Go. Did you, who, who promoted you? Was uh, it Bren? I forgot. Was it Bren Berry? I forgot. Was it the guy that has Vicar Street? I don't Well, know. I know that Kevin promoted you in Galway. And he is, he's a great character, man. Yeah. So just go back there. Do a weekend. You can stay in my I've house. I've never I got two of them. <laughs> I got two houses, man. You can stay. <laughs> Actually, the, I have Chinese. I, I, I keep one room in my own house, and I've rented out the rest of the rooms to Chinese people. Really? So that when I'm in Dublin, I can keep speaking Chinese. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you can come and live with some Chinese people. Have you had any good Chinese food here in New York? Well, there's loads of great places yeah. in Flushing. I mean, you just get on the 7 train or get on the Long Island Railroad, go to Flushing Main Street, and just sky's the limit. There's stuff know? around here, too. I'll tell you after the... Oh, yeah, because you're near Chinatown. <laughs> oh, hi -o. Yeah, but there's... Everything's near Chinatown. Yeah, nowadays. I know. I was just sort of doing a security thing there. Yeah, no problem. Everyone they're not going to find you. No, no, no. They can't get through my wall of security. Yeah. Um. So are you going to... Have you? Are you pretty in at the New York clubs? Not, not, not amazingly. You know, years ago, my dad was sick years ago and I was in New York a lot. So I started doing the clubs and then I did the cellar a couple of times and Esty pulled me to the side and she brought me into her, into her, her womb, I guess, you know, that she brought me into that, yeah. that place, that acceptance from Esty. And then unfortunately I just kind of like wasn't in New York for years after that. So I felt like that was kind of a waste. Send her an email. I know, but I don't have her email. I'll... And I, her, I'll sell you her email address. I feel like I let her down. Well, you you move. Yeah, you have yeah <laughs> life life. But it was literally just after. Like she sat me down. And she gave me a really like nice pep talk and explained to me how it all works yeah. and what she wanted me to do. So you and must have killed. Twice I had two rippers. Yeah. And she sat me down and she was like, "I need your social security. I, you you're <laughs> great. To, you know." She, well, she's asking for the social security number. You know, you you have passed there. Yeah, that's what I felt. So I felt like it was a bit of a wasted opportunity because I literally... Yeah, just write to her, remind her who you are. Yeah. I'm sure she'll remember you, I'm right? sure she'll. I hope so. I hope so. And then I won't get as many spots. But yeah, no, but I was doing... Uh, I did the stand. Judah, Judah Freelander hooked me up with some spots yeah. in the stand. And uh, he, uh, they were good, but I wasn't as actually... Like when I was doing those spots in the cellar a few years ago, I was really just like consistently ripping it. Uh, in the stand, I was all right. I was all right. And uh, the New York Comedy Club's new ownership, they look after me, but the rest of them don't really know me that well. But that's, that's okay for now because I'm busy doing the show on Barrow Street. Yeah. Which is on this Thursday at 9.30, Friday at 10, Saturday at oh, 10, Sunday been. at 5. Not bad, not bad. A little bit like on the, sh the sort of shy side, I think that space might lean people to 
feel like it's a bit more theater than stand-up. Uh-huh. But not bad. I mean, good. I thought that was a good room. It was all right. I wasn't totally delighted the night you were there, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, you, you, uh, you told me that. Like, uh, but, but it, I it was that's something you can say to another comic. Like, I didn't think they were good. Yeah, I, it was fine. But I just, I, you know, I, it, it was opening night. You know, they had like an official opening night. They're very theatery in Barrow Street, so yeah. they have a lot of like theater tradition. So it was opening night, and they had invited a lot of people. And then I saw a TV guy that I knew in the front row, like ten minutes into it, and you know, I just, I just started like, oh, like an executive. Yeah, one of those. It was a really good show. Like I don't, I, no, I yeah. was surprised when you said it was. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Thanks. I'm not just saying that. Yeah, no. But anyway, I, and that's often the way you're only comparing it. But I, I had Saturday night was two shows, and they were both like ripping super easy. Whereas that one, I just wasn't, I wasn't present. You know, when you're doing a show and the words are coming out, but you don't really know what you're saying. Yeah, it felt a bit like that. I felt like I was watching myself do a show. Well, I'm glad I went to the bad show that you did. Yeah. Well, anyway, also other than as well, you, you tweeted and Maeve tweeted. And I know. Jermaine from Flight of the Concords tweeted. Any and, other celebrity show up there? Uh, not really. Jermaine no. came to it? Jermaine came. Jermaine came to the show. He, did, he gave a little tweet. Wow. But we go way back to 2002. We go back to that Edinburgh in 2002. Oh, yeah. I met them in 2004. 2004. I, think, I remember you were there. In Australia. Yeah. Oh, really? But yeah. you were in Edinburgh in 2004, Yeah, too. but I went to Australia first. Uh-huh. I was the guy who did it the other way around. Oh, but that's not that's not I, that's not a bad way to do it. You, no, then you're more prepared for Edinburgh. Really, I found like I was not prepared for Edinburgh. <laughs> I remember that 2004. Dimitri had blown up. Do you remember that? I remember talking to you in Edinburgh, and I was just like, I was really. It was just one of those things where you're like, I don't want to be Mister Negative, but like, God, I'm fucking drained, and this is like this <laughs> torture. And you're like. It's a rough festival. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I like, you wanted a pep talk. <laughs> and here you are. After I think I've had a bad show, you're like, no, it was great. But in Edinburgh, I was just like, yeah, man, that's the way you should feel. <laughs> no, but that was good because it was like, all right, if, if, if something, I don't, if, you know, then all right, then I'm just feeling what a lot of people feel is that it's Oh, it's but everybody rough. feels that, man, especially your first time. I was talking to, is it Yanis Pappas? Yeah. He does a lot of spots in the stand and we were talking about Edinburgh and he was like, Telling me after you know after the fact about how tough he felt it was, and I said, "Man, that is like ninety percent of, particularly Americans that go." Well, away. a lot of even it is a lot of it is just accommodations. Even like you know, if you go to do, you can do a sh- not that great gig in the states, and they'll give you an actual hotel room <laughs> that's clean with a bed, and and there you're like, yeah, you got to find a you know a, a flat with a roommate. Yeah, you were sharing, right? This last last time I did it, I was like, no, I'm not sharing. And then, of course, I lost money because... Oh, you did? When did you go last time? Like 2010, maybe? No, maybe... I don't... Yeah, maybe 2010. But you should seriously consider going back to Melbourne now. Like, I know, if I want If you're to. filling venues in Dublin, like, you would have an amazing time in Melbourne. In the festival. Well, either or. Yeah, I've done the festival either twice, or. yeah. Oh, you I did like, it twice. I like the festival. Yeah, because I think now with the stuff that you've done and, you know, just the internet, man, like the popularity of, you know, just American shows on the internet has, has it's definitely had more appeal than, than British shows, I think. And so I think that you could probably go to Australia and you'd, you'd have much more of your own audience than you realize, I think. Really? That would be my. I do want to go. I, actually, that's sort of in the works going oh, that's back to Australia. The works, right. then, I'll, so then I, then I so don't need far, to. So far, though, man. It's a bit. You got to go there for ages, and you got to do business class minimum. I, I've never gone to Australia economy, and I'm not a big like spend. I, I I don't always go business class, but Australia, I just ta- I just take the hit. <laughs> it's too far, man. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's it's a doozy. It's, but yeah, man, it, the way I do Australia, the way I think Australia needs to be done is you got to go for ages, 
and then take the weeks off, take the middle times off, spend it in a super beautiful place, work really hard at the weekends, take risks on cities and, and, and try to make money and, and do it for like a whole month. That's I do love I Melbourne. That's what I think. That would be my advice. Let's, uh, let's do some plugs since before we say goodbye. Yeah, well, I've nothing else to plug other than the shows the in Barrow show, Street. The Street. Desbishop.net. My Twitter's at Desbishop. Oh, my God. You know, I'm Facebook Desbishop. I mean, it's oh, really keep it simple. It's been That's nice the way to do it. That's smart marketing. It's been nice to chat. And so hopefully- Barrow Street Theater... Three, March 29th? Yeah, the times are awkward. So Thursday is at 9.30, uh, Friday is at 10, Saturday is at 10, and Sunday is at 5, and then it's finished. So like five more shows was that, or four uh, more? Four, four more shows. You know, no chance of extending it? I can't. No, they have a massive show coming in. The next show they have is actually like, the performance is an audience, so it's like an audience looking at an audience. Oh, you know, wow. it's like a pl- Yeah, it sounds very interesting. So they have to completely strike it. Plus, I open in London on Tuesday. Oh. So literally, I finish on well, Sunday, plug. I open in London in the Soho on Tuesday. Are you doing the theater room or the, no, downstairs? the downstairs? Are you doing the downstairs? I've never done it. It was it's being pretty built. cool, yeah. The last time I was in the Soho, it was being built. It's kind of like a perfect setup for comedy. It's really? Real- well, it's just like cabaret, but it's really low stage, and they're just right there. Yeah, well, anyway, I'm doing that for two weeks, so that's nice. Man. Have you ever done it in London? I've, I've never show? done Made in China, no, but I did Edinburgh. It went went great in Edinburgh. That's actually how, that's why I'm in New York. The Barrow Street saw me in Edinburgh, and uh, they, they, they said, let's do this in New York. So, Do you like London? I like London a lot. I love it. I was born there, actually, just to Where confuse my oh identity my even we further. We have to do another hour now. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I like London, and oh, check this out, you know, like, I'm not big on staying with, with other people normally, but my friend who I hadn't seen in years was like, hey, why don't you stay with me when you're in London? I, I'm married now with two kids, and he was like, you know, we will spend some time. So right. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. He lives in a cool area. And, you know, it's kind of nice to have a bit of normality sometimes. So I thought, cool, I'll spend some time with his family. But I was also thinking like, ooh, I'm going to be tired and everything that's going on with my mother. And I was like, man, I was kind of a little bit in the regret zone. Yeah. And so he emails me two days ago, and he goes, wow, my wife just told me you, you, you opened on the 31st of March. I thought you were coming in May. We're going to be away for the two weeks. I'll just get our nanny to give you the key. Oh, my, oh God. my God. It was that's, the best. That's the great. Oh, my God. It was the happiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. If that were me, it would have been like, hey, I got the dates wrong, so sorry you can't stay with me. Yeah, well, no. They, <laughs> I'll be away. Sorry you can't stay in my place. Yeah, no, they got the nanny giving me the key, and it's in Fulham. You know, it's like a super nice neighborhood. See, I, ever, I never even heard of Fulham. Like, there's it's so Chelsea. Many. It's oh, next Chelsea? to Chelsea. When is so? What Soho Theater when starts on ch- next Tuesday uh, till the the eleventh? Because I have listeners in London, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have assumed uh-huh. that yeah. we were just talking to a New York audience here. And then anywhere after that, then you come back to New York. No, then I go to China for a week and a half to see my girlfriend, and then I'm doing two weeks in New Zealand, a week in Auckland, and a week in oh, Wellington. Man. Yeah. Are you gonna? Is your girlfriend from move to? I'm New trying York? to get it to New York. That's part of my flushing mission is to get her to flushing because flushing is like. Flushing is like if you're Chinese and you're worried about withdrawing from China, then flushing is like methadone. You know, flushing will like get you. <laughs> flushing will like, like get you through. Some familiarity, without, yeah. Yeah, get you through. She ever, has she ever been to the states? Never. She's never been out of China. What so does she it's do? It's a big deal. She's an actress. She does stand up comedy. That's how I met her. But wow. she's not big into it. But she's done it. But she's an actress. She's touring with a show now. I'm actually going back. I have to. I have to follow her around because she's currently touring. So they have that. That's big in China now. The, the actors who dabble in stand up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. do stand up too. No, you don't. Yeah. Well, it, it, it isn't. But that that okay. it, it's it, it's just so happens that she. It sounds like she's fitting that stereotype. 
No, I didn't mean to. S- no, listen. Hey, man. You know what I'm doing. It was, it was effective. effective. It was effective. It was powerful. It was powerful. It was effective. I like to end, by, I like to end a, a podcast by insulting my guest girlfriend. No, listen, that's not an insult. I know, no. Yeah. She's 25. Um, really? I'm 39. Wow. It's all good. It is all good. Um, Well, Des, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I think this is, we'll call this your U.S. podcast debut, even though I, it probably isn't. Let's just say it's my U.S. podcast <laughs> debut. I have never done a podcast in the United States of America. Is that true? That's 100% oh my the God. fact. I'm not saying people in the United States haven't heard me on a podcast, but I have never sat in the United States of America and recorded a podcast in my life. Oh, that's great. Well, this really is a scoop then. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you all for listening, and we'll see you probably around next week-ish. All right. Bye. Feral Audio. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.